Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast, episode number 105 with Loretta Brunning. I'm your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Remember to subscribe to my podcast so that you can receive alerts when new episodes are available each week on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I ask that you support my podcast by pledging monthly or your one-time donation. Also by sharing your favorite episodes. If you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter, Maurice Flournoy, and Facebook, New Mind Creator. Loretta Brunning is a PhD, and she is the founder of Inner Mamble Institute. So what's the most interesting place you've traveled to so far? Most interesting place I've traveled to. Well, I I did go to Morocco, um, but I have to say it was in the 70s and my memory isn't fabulous, but I remember we were we went to Marrakesh and I just remember thinking that Timbuktu is only a few more hours, but um no, I was in Mali. I lived in Africa for a year. And um like for one week, I, I lived in um, Burkina Faso and Central African Republic. And um, then sometimes I traveled on the weekends to neighboring countries. That was really fun. Again, it was in the 70s. Right. So what led you to Africa? I know uh, Africa is a really rich nation, um, but what led you there? Oh, I worked for the United Nations for um, a year. And I was studying um, economic development. So I was interested in the foreign aid programs to um, help countries build new infrastructure. Um, But uh, I did not stick with that because unfortunately, when I started working in it in my early 20s, I was horrified to discover how much of the money was stolen. So I just decided to give up and try another career. <laughs> that sounds yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of corrupt things that goes on sometimes behind the scenes that, you know, yeah. you rarely get to see. So have you have you ever been to Italy? Yeah, well, that's where my grandparents are from, although uh, there, there was not like a real connection during my lifetime. But um, I went there a lot. And um, I have to say, it's one of my least favorite places ever because of the degree of tourist scams. And uh, people don't realize it, but in the United States, there's sort of a customer service mentality, like the customer is always right. Whereas in, in a lot of places, including Italy, like the customer is always wrong and they just don't want to serve you or they want to just give you a lot of rules. And <laughs> so it's very frustrating. Yes, yeah, so definitely a culture shock, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of places, um, if you travel, I, I enjoy traveling too. And when you go to different places, it's definitely different if you're accustomed to U.S. traditions. Because every place has their own tradition and what they deem important. So, yeah, I definitely understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, it's interesting, like in Italy, you you can't have your pasta with your meat or your meat with your salad. Like, you have to eat each thing separate. 
And then what drives us crazy in Europe, like there's this fabulous pastry and we want to have it with coffee, but you can't. First you have the pastry and then you have the coffee or you go to a pastry shop and just have pastry and then you go to a coffee shop and just have what? So we're always like trying to figure out how we can work around the system. Yes. I believe that whenever, because I consider you to be a person who have achieved greatness in your area of expertise. And I believe whenever I can find greatness, I will be able to find challenges that person had to overcome on their way to greatness. So what dominant challenge have you had to overcome? Thank you. Yes, it's absolutely the case. I've noticed the same thing that it's nobody, uh, you don't get anywhere by having an easy life. so, well, I would say a couple of things. So I, I, I had a really bad childhood. I mean, my, let's just say that my mother had a really, really bad childhood. And so she didn't develop any peace of mind. So let's just say that I was exposed to her rage and anxiety, like all the time. And, um, I would hide in my room and read and not realizing that that gave me a really good concentration skill, but it didn't give me any social skills. So I guess the second challenge was then how to get the social skills to round out my other skills. And that's it. We all develop in one area, but nobody can be everything. And that's why we're lucky we get to live long. That's, That's definitely something else, right? Because when you said that, when you just shared that story, I thought of this rapper named LL Cool J, but he also is an actor too. I think he's on uh, one of these uh, crime scene uh, television shows as well. So you may have heard of him. And he mm-hmm. was te- he was uh, being interviewed by mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey uh, several years ago. And I remember him talking about him being abused as a child. I want to say it was his mom's boyfriend or something like that. And he was abused, physically abused Mm -hmm. so much until he went inside, he said. He said he went inside of himself. He said they could, he could touch the outside, but nobody could get on the inside. So he had to change his perspective in order for survival. And he began to develop his inner strength. And I, developing that, I would assume that became his greatest thing, his inner strength. And then he had to round out the other areas that he didn't get to, um, he didn't really get to develop because of that trauma he went through. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's that's sad. And of course, one hopes that um, those kind of things will not happen and more parents will learn to develop their emotional self-management skills, which I guess is why I write about that subject. And um, it's uh, it was a shock to me, though. Um, my generation, I think, child abuse has, I think, really fallen a lot because it used to be just accepted as a normal thing. And now it's not, so that's great. And I thought the new generation of kids would be happy all the time as a result, but no, you know, you can see how they haven't 
a lot of times developed any inner strength. So that was a huge wake-up call to me that the brain is more complicated and just having it easy. The resistance of what we're lifting it what is what build our strength. So we have to strain and struggle sometimes in order to get that strength. Mm -hmm. And also like birds, yeah. they are, you know, chickens, they have to pluck their way through the shell. And it's not necessarily good for someone to break the shell open. Yeah. They have to do it themselves, right, to gain that strength. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. And, um, but many children will not choose on their own to challenge themselves. And so historically, adults have um, surrounded children with challenges. And we don't want them to do that in an abusive way. And for most of human history, children participated in, you know, carrying the water and harvesting the crops because they were needed. And now what I say in a lot of my books is like, we freed children to study, but if they don't use the time to study, then they're just free to use the time badly. And the whole developmental years of their brains are are developing around this just passive. So do you believe your experience as a child change your or influence your self-image starting off? Did it in any way you believe? You know, interestingly, when I think about that, I almost feel like I had no self-image because I was so focused on my mother and keeping her calm that I wasn't very focused on myself. Um, however, then I had like the exact opposite theory, which is that um, I was always very individual in the sense of I'm not going to trust other people's word for anything. I'm not going to need help from other people, you know, because of how I grow, grew up. It's like, I'm going to trust my own judgment and not follow, not be influenced by other people because I just didn't trust them to make good decisions, but all without like, without really any awareness of my, like my, how I look to others. So it's a reason behind the way everybody behaves, even if we don't really know that person, right? Yes. So why, what inspired you to write the book, The Science of Positivity? Oh, thanks. Uh, and I might mention the, um, the book before that is Habits of a Happy Brain, which is a good introductory place to start because it's about, it's about all of the happy chemicals, whereas Science of Positivity yeah. is it's a lot of it, the book is about negativity. Um, so what inspired me to write it? Um, I, as I said, I was so shocked raising children and having hundreds of students a year that young people did not seem that motivated. Um, and when I was young, I was like not allowed to do anything. My mother wanted me to stay home and I was just always dying to go out and do something. Um, but when my kids and my students had so much opportunity to go out and do things, but they weren't as motivated. So 
I was interested in where does motivation come from? And I started studying where it comes from in animals. And there's been a lot more research since I went to college. And I was very amazed to learn about the brain chemicals that motivate animals that are also in humans. And they're motivating us all the time. And, and nobody's talking about that. So, so dopamine, serotonin, yeah. oxytocin. Well, um, I use that expression a lot because today we're surrounded by what I call the disease model, which is the idea supposedly that a happy brain, uh, no, I'm sorry, a normal brain is just happy effortlessly. And if you're not happy effortlessly, that's a disease and then a doctor can fix it for you, which I think is so unrealistic. Uh, the animal brain did not evolve to just create happiness all the time, just sitting on the couch. The, uh, our brains evolved to promote survival. So happy chemicals are only released when you take action to promote your survival. And survival is defined in different ways, which we could talk about, but... Um, the idea that other people are getting happy chemicals. Um, I guess uh, define survival. Sure. So there's two, um, I call it um, quirky, or we have a quirky brain. So we do quirky things because it defines survival in quirky ways. So first, it cares about the survival of your genes. And what what does that mean? Well, Obviously, there's a motivation to spread your genes that's not conscious, and it's not conscious in animals, but a simple example is if a person feels like their appearance is flawed, like let's say you, you get something that you think that ruins your appearance, and you feel so bad about it. The reason is because your mammal brain connects your appearance with your attractiveness, with your reproductive potential, even though you have no intention of reproducing. So that's that's um, one quirky reason why our happy chemicals are hard to understand. So the other is whatever turns on your happy chemicals got wired when you were young because we're born with a completely unformed brain and our brain forms from experience. And early experience is like what builds the road system in your brain. And then the rest of your life, you use those roads because they're there. So you expect to feel good when you do things that felt good when you were young. And then sometimes later on, you realize that those things are not great for you, or you'd rather just add other things to the list. And that's why it's- That don't produce the things <laughs> that we want to now that we have, you know, because I believe as a kid, you want different things than opposed to as an adult. And I know the subconscious mind plays a part in it as well, because whatever we can uh, yes. continually do systematically also and incorporated with the feeling of that wish fulfilled will imprint our subconscious mind because, yes, so that uh, that is really helpful as well, because our brain can't tell the difference between what's yes. real and what's a magic. So that's that canvas that we can paint on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I forgot that the, the question was, Oh, so how can we change our brain in adulthood? So, um, in one word is repetition. 
So repetition is what it takes to build a new pathway in adulthood. And in order to repeat, it it takes sometimes uh, some structure and energy and concentration. So first you have to plan the new behavior that you want to create the new road um, so that you keep going back to that same behavior. And then you have to repeat it knowing that it's not going to feel good at first because whenever you do something different, it feels It comes to a person's desire to change their lives. Well, self-discipline is a great thing, but um, uh, many psychologists now that you hear are against it because they just assume that if a person had it, they wouldn't be asking me this. So I guess people feel like the challenge is how to get yourself the self-discipline. And the answer is often um, uh, to, to structure yourself to um, make it uh, to, to, so the brain is always learning from rewards. Like if a person has ever trained a dog, like the dog does the behavior and then they give, get the reward. If you give the dog the reward without doing the behavior, the dog's not going to learn it. So, so we can structure our own lives. Like I'm going to give so myself a reward. Yes. Um, well, the first thing is um, get enough sleep and um, not try to do really difficult, frustrating things at night. And so any, any job, I, I try to differentiate between the tasks I have to do that I enjoy and the tasks that are difficult and frustrating. And so I have, like, I do the hardest challenges in the morning, uh, first thing in the morning, get them out of the way. And, um, also the creative things where I want to be fresh. And then later in the day, I do some of the more boring routine tasks. Um, I give myself plenty of breaks and, uh, try not to confuse food with breaks. You know, like we all need breaks and many people like what they really need is a break. And so they just. It doesn't necessarily mean they're happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the fake social smile. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a theory now that if you smile, it makes you happy. But I, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a big supporter of that theory, actually. Um, so to me, temperament, so, so the popular theory these days is that temperament is genetic. And I do not agree with this because the people doing the research are pretty much focusing on genetics because that's like the cool new thing. And they're completely ignoring the way we're wired from early experience because you can't get good data on that. And academics just ignore stuff when you can't get good data. Also, they feel that um, when a child has a problem, they don't want the parents to be blamed, so that's just become a taboo. And as a result, um, uh, I, I think, um, let, let me just use a simple example. If you have a child, every child cries because we are born with needs and no way to meet our needs. So that's a sort of a scary, panicky feeling. And our only natural skill that we're born with 
is to cry and have a meltdown. And so every other skill has to be learned. So if you have a kid who like every time they have a meltdown, you just give them whatever they want, they're not going to learn other skills. And that's really a, a sad problem. And it's it's so tempting to do that as a parent. I was tempted. I wish I learned sooner. And um, everybody wants to be nice. But um, over time, if a child is always rewarded for bad behavior, their brain wires for bad behavior. Now, if that gets called temperament, yes. parents were getting better information. Yeah. So here's a thing. Um, you have to stop rewarding the bad behavior and start rewarding the good behavior. Now, the logical response is to say, yeah, but there isn't any good behavior to reward. And so the theory, it's called micro-recognition, where if a child or a teen, a young adult takes even a small step in the right direction, then you reward that. But do not reward the bad behavior. And it's very hard. And there's another angle with this. It's called um, variable reinforcement, which means once you stop rewarding a person for having a meltdown, they're going to have even more meltdowns. And that makes it even harder to resist. And um, the cliche example of that is if a person goes to a slot machine and wins, and then the next 10 times they go to the slot machine, they don't they don't win, so but they good. want to go to the slot machine even more. So it's like if you get the reward some of the time, you just keep doing the behavior because you think, oh, next time it's going to work. So it's hard to break that. And it takes so is it a, safe a, a to long say giving us today, they would have to weather the storm of that child like rebelling against this new thing that they're doing. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. And when you're weathering that storm, the important thing is you don't, the child is learning from your actions. So if you remain calm and just model the behavior that you want them to learn, that's what's important, not to go where they are and start acting like them. And um, sometimes, interestingly, you won't see the success so what is because the, the connection, what is probably one of the most interesting things you've learned? So I call it social comparison. So animals are very competitive and they're always comparing themselves to others and who's stronger and who's weaker. And the stronger one tries to dominate and the weaker one submits to avoid getting hurt. And I know this sounds bad and horrible and awful, but it's like, wow, this is what people do. And we're always trying to restrain that behavior. And um, in the so best days are very started your uh, upward trajectory, but what were some defining moments that took you up to even another level? Oh, thank you. Well, I should say that I was writing my whole life and never got anybody to read what I wrote until I was in my 60s. So um, that, um, it's, it's um, I guess it was a whole internal debate about why am I writing? And you could, I could say, that I'm just writing for myself. But the reality is that we want to be heard and understood and recognized and being real with myself. And really, I think having both is that 
being able to be happy without recognition, and yet being honest and saying it's natural to want recognition. And in order to get it, you have to seek it. And in order to seek it, you have to be willing to get disappointed and ignore it some of the time and keep trying. So that was a real, it was, you know what, when I retired from that teaching. That is have that recognition right away, but the important thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you know how I learned this and I, how I learned to be calm about this. So my husband is a scientist. And when we go on long car rides, we want to listen to an audio book and I don't understand science. Uh, I mean, his kind. So we have to find some audio book that we can both like. So we listen to biographies of science, scientists, and the life stories of scientists. And it's amazing that every technology we enjoy today came from people who did really amazing work and did not get recognized while they were alive. And that's sort of the reality of life. And you know what? People who do get recognized while they're alive, then other people just try to tear them down. Of that person and try to tear them down in some way, shape, or form. Yes. And it's so that's why it was such a mind blower for me to see how monkeys and only time they cooperate is to overthrow the guy above them or to defend themselves from attack from the neighboring troop of monkeys. It's mind-blowing. And that's what humans do. So humans cooperate when they have a common enemy. And um, after I studied monkeys, then I started studying animals with even smaller brains, like herd animals. And that's what they do. So when there's a predator, like a wolf or a lion, then a, a herd animal will run to the herd, but the herds are very competitive and, and, you know, push each other around, but, and so they'd rather go off on their own, but then when there's a predator, they can't. So they're really just sticking with the herd when there's a predator. So that's why in here, because that makes you want to be sticking with the group rather than going out on your own. So they always scare you over and over about the common enemy to keep you in the group. Um, so this is the oxytocin phenomenon. So oxytocin is a brain chemical that is um, in the human mind is trust, is when you feel safe in the presence of others. So reptiles don't trust other reptiles. And reptiles don't live in groups because of any reptile gets too close to another reptile, and they bite them. So oxytocin is the chemical that says, I can trust being near you, you can trust being near me. But um, if you trust everyone, that's not safe. So the mammal brain evolved to make careful decisions about when to release the oxytocin. But it's a lot of it is released in infancy and childbirth, and that's how we get wired to trust whatever we're surrounded by when we're young. Now, many people leave home and like build new trust bonds with their peers. And so that's like a second layer of oxytocin circuits. And then frankly, sex is a big oxytocin circuit. So um, that's how people get wired. But then the people you trust disappoint you. So that's a cortisol circuit, which is the stress chemical. So every one of us has these circuits and you can think it's like a GPS where you're saying, how can I steer toward 
the good feeling of social trust, but I want to steer away from anything that disappointed my trust in the past. And that's hard to do because any the, the, this, the difficult thing is that if somebody tells you, you don't believe them because the old circuits in our brain are like our definition of reality. And the reason for that the old circuits in your brain are efficient and your electricity flows there so effortlessly that that, ha, huh, um, uh, I guess I have to say my husband, but he's, he's not really a cheerleader because he's not really that positive person. Like he doesn't really have very positive expectations, but he's like, if I try and fail, then I can count on his support. And if I'm frustrated, I can count on him for whatever I ask for. Um, but I had to learn over the years that, you know, we're all different. So I'll give you a funny example. Like he hates public speaking so much. So if I have to do a talk, um, he can't support me. So, but um, he, I, I have to ask for what I need because we're all different. But if you ask nicely, um, then you can get it. My website has everything. It's called innermammalinstitute.org, innermammalinstitute.org. And I have lots of free resources, including when you go there, it's um, a five-day happy chemical jumpstart, which is five emails that explain um, five happy chemicals and one unhappy chemical. And I have videos, which I've tried. You can get the people in your life to watch them, and they're short, and they explain all of this and how to build a new pathway for happiness. With, like, one to grow on, what would you leave us with? Um, so... Uh, I didn't really talk yet about unhappy chemicals. So cortisol is the unhappy chemical and it's called, um, and it's called the stress chemical. And you know, I don't agree with a lot of popular media. So a lot of it is about saying our society is stressful and blaming your stress on society. So that's not really very helpful and it just leaves you feeling powerless. So, um, Cortisol comes from our own neural pathways of whatever felt bad in your past, built a pathway that turns on the bad feeling today. So I'll give you an example. My daughter just applied for a job and got rejected. Now that rejection goes into the pathway of like every rejection she's ever gotten her whole life. And you end up feeling horrible over minutia. And it happens to all of us. Like, like when I try to work with an app that doesn't work, that's like a feeling of like, I'm getting nowhere. I'm trying and trying and it's not working. So we all have this. And when we understand what's happening, then we can know that it's inside of us. And there's two things to do. One is, as you know from the book, is like steer yourself into... Um, uh, another pathway that's more positive. Thanks, and and thank you for uh, <laughs> trying to. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the New Mind Creator podcast with your host Maurice, the New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflournoy.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.